0: Relax while we infuse weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Lara Davis. On this edition, we'll feature power-dressing giant frogs with ID cards. But first up, here's the news with Patrick Ruby.
3: From ABC Science Online, viruses go wild in winter. New research shows that influenza viruses are stronger in winter. Colder temperatures protect the virus by hardening the outer coat and making it easier for viruses to survive and infect hosts. The discovery was made by a team of researchers led by Dr Joshua Zimmerberg of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in the US. The scientists injected viral DNA into a host cell and observed how it directed the formation of new viruses. They used a technique called nuclear magnetic resonance imaging to examine the outer coat of newly forming viruses. Influenza viruses use cholesterol from host cells to make membranes around themselves. They then bud from cells and are ready to infect other cells. Normal viral therapy targets this process. The viruses are also coated with an envelope protein called hemagglutinin. This is liquid at warmer temperatures, so when a virus enters a host respiratory tract, this coat liquefies to make it easier to invade a cell. However, as temperatures become colder, the coat gradually solidifies. This helps the virus to survive in the outside environment when it is not infecting a host cell. If the temperature is too warm before the virus enters the host, its coat will melt and it will die. Scientists believe this knowledge might explain why we are more likely to catch the flu when it's cold. They believe this discovery along with further research might help in the future treatment of influenza. The research has been published in the journal Nature Chemical Biology. So could global warming be a good thing in this case? Possibly not. Also from ABC Science Online, snake jaws are sailing the waves of sound. Snakes are now known to hear sound through both their jawbones and their inner ears. The research was conducted jointly by both US and German scientists. It was first discovered that snakes could hear in the 1970s, but scientists were unsure how they did it. The new discovery explains that movement or vibrations produced by snake prey, such as mice, creates a ripple of sound waves, much the same way as a drop of water in a pool produces ripples. These sound wave ripples travel to where the snake is waiting and strike the jawbone the way a wave might strike the side of a boat. The snake's jaw moves in response to these waves similarly to a boat in water. The way in which the jaw moves provides information on where the sound wave originated from. The sound is passed on to the cochlea, the snake's inner ear, where nerves send the signal onto the brain to interpret the sound and decide if it might be prey. Humans also have a crude ability to hear sound in this way. If a tuning fork is struck and placed in the air next to an ear, a faint sound can be heard, if the same fork is struck and then held against the bone behind the ear, the vibrations travel quickly along the bone and a much stronger sound is heard. The snake discovery has been reported in the journal Physical Review Letters. From physorg.com, a 140-year-old mathematical problem is solved. A formula known as the Schwarz-Christophel formula has been modified so that irregular shapes can be more easily analysed in scientific research and manufacture. This type of mathematics was developed in the mid-19th century by two mathematicians. It helps to translate information from complicated shapes into simple circular shapes so that it can be analysed easily. This has led to our understanding of how air flows over intricate wing shapes in the field of aeronautics, and also examining the shape and structure of the brain in neuroscience. But before now, we were unable to obtain information from irregular shapes or shapes with holes in them. Professor Darren Crody Chair in Applied Mathematics at Imperial College London, the UK, has solved this problem by adding some extra detail to the original formula. He says that this is of great use in industry where materials such as metals, which may be non-uniform or contain holes, could now be analysed and used in ways not possible before. The improvements to the formula were published in the Mathematical Proceedings of the Cambridge Philosophical Society last year. And finally, some nifty new inventions from new scientist tech. The shrinking dishwasher. Paul Frigate of Coventry University, the UK, made the new design. It has an adjustable compartment inside, which can be made bigger or smaller, depending on how many dishes need to be washed. For example, if the dirty dishes only fill up half the dishwasher, it can be set so that only half of the internal space is washed, while the other half can be used to store clean dishes, or be used in an alternative cycle of washing. The multitasking dishwasher could save water, energy, and detergent. It could also improve hygiene, as dishwashers won't have to be stacked with dirty dishes until they're full before they can be washed. Copy the light in one room to another. The electrics company Philips has invented a lighting system that works like the copy and paste function on a computer. A sensor attached to a light can be pointed at a particular room. It will then sense the intensity, colour, hue, and saturation of light in the room, This information can be sent on to a second light to tell how much light to give off so that it copies the light intensity of the first room. The system can store particular light settings so that they can be reproduced at a later date.
0: Thanks, Patrick. Did the Australian ID card die when the Senate put the Access Card bill aside? Has the new federal government killed a card that accesses you?
1: The Access ID card lives. Last year, the outgoing Australian federal government was pushing the Access ID card and its secure identity document system. In recent weeks, Centrelink pensioners were invited to sign up for the ID card under the guise of an easier way to apply for an improved telephone allowance. On no part of the letter does the person get warned that the website will demand all their personal information. Pensioners were told that if they're paying for an internet service provider, that their telephone allowance could be extended by a new internet allowance to help with some of the cost. However, they can't get the money automatically. They have to register a claim for it. They're given a choice between posting a form to Centrelink with their internet service provider's name or claiming the internet allowance by going on the Centrelink website. I strongly advise all pensioners to post the paper form. If you send the form, Centrelink will spend more than the allowance in the administrative time checking every pensioner against the internet provider they have named, to see if they are a genuine internet user, or just pretending. Naturally, the assumption is that pensioners are liars. If you naturally use the internet site to claim the internet allowance, Centrelink asks you for the secure identity document information of the Access ID card, just as was outlined a year ago when the access card was sent back from the Senate for rewriting. Pensioners are given the choice between internet and paper because it's currently illegal for the federal government to compel all the information they ask for on the website. Until the access card bill passes, they have to let you opt out. Of course, this doesn't force them to tell you enough to make an informed choice. After all, if you don't want to register for online Centrelink services, you can always wait in the queues. The website demands your passport number, your driver's licence number, your middle name, and to reassure you, they tell you you've provided all of these to Centrelink before, and this is just confirmation. They ask for your landline and mobile phone numbers and your email address. Now you're in the game, and they invite you to the next level if you really want these online services and the internet allowance to help you pay to use them. For the next of the four levels, you must provide them with five personal secrets that are known only to you and anyone at Centrelink, and that will remain true over time. This is the same process you might go through with various financial institutions, except that they don't ask you five personal secrets. At the end of this process, congratulations, you've reached level four. Sadly, having given so much, you receive very little. In a classic bait and switch, the website doesn't register your internet service provider for you to claim the internet allowance. You've been conned. If you want the allowance, you have to log on again in about a month's time, well after the people who posted the form have been paid. Underlining that this registration is all about the ID card database and nothing to do with pension services, you're unable to access any Centrelink services from the website. The menu options are there, but only if you qualify, so if you click on them, you'll be told to phone a Centrelink officer or to go to a Centrelink office. Get in the queue.
0: Ian Wolfe trusting five personal secrets to Centrelink and the PIN to his bank account.
1: Now Charles Willock brings the colour of sounds that tastes like music with original guitar by Lachlan Wattmore.
4: This is a light-hearted look at synesthesia, the remarkable ability of some people to perceive one sense as another. That is not to say that synesthesia is a light-hearted matter, since sometimes it might be good to be able to turn it off. But here we are trying to illustrate the concept. Consider, for example, some computer functions are represented as sounds. If something is broken, then the computer might give you the sound of breaking glass. There are many different varieties of synesthesia. One is where people can see written numbers as colours. Four might be red, and three might be blue. So, three plus four equals magenta. Hey, that could be useful at times. So let's sense, for example, what a written URL might sound like. Gov might be perceived as a snoring sound. And perhaps EDU could be represented by a school bell. Anyway, you get the idea. For the purpose of illustration, I've chosen the new website for Diffusion Radio, www.diffusionradio.com. To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the semicolon. Two of something. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? That sounds pretty good. The www seems easy enough. We could have anything that goes woo-woo-woo, such as an owl. And there are some good owl sounds out there. Maybe a didgeridoo. That can be pretty funky. Maybe clapping. Simple and easy to remember. However, when my friend Errol suggested the sound of a loon, which is a kind of a Canadian bird which looks like a duck, but isn't a duck, well, that had to be it. Loons sometimes make a really spooky tremolo sound. Here's part of a clip with kind permission of US Fish and Wildlife Service. For the diffusion radio part, we can do a voiceover and make it kind of um, a bit spacey sounding with, uh, with some technology.
5: Diffusion radio. <laughs>
4: Thank you, Marina, and happy birthday. Now, the issue of com A raspberry sound comes to mind. Maybe that's a bit unfair, and this is a family show. And besides, many dot-coms do good things too. Maybe we can settle for something a little milder. If all that works, we have some celebrating to do. That could be uh, the download process, for example. So, just about time to put this all together. The HTTP. We can tie it all together with the dots. Let's give it a bit of a musical intro and see how it sounds. Lachlan Watmore on guitar.
1: Maybe we will think of birds, not synesthesia, next time we use our browsers. Thanks, Charles.
2: a thumbnail introduction to atomic energy. Here are some important highlights of atomic history. From the X-ray and electron and the quantum theory down to Einstein and his formula for mass and energy. Hit hooray! We've got atomic energy. It could mean a better world for all. Hit hooray! For those who made it come to be... May we present the main events and heroes great and small... 1896, France. Henri Becquerel finds that uranium ore is radioactive. 1905, Switzerland. Albert Einstein shows that energy and matter are equivalent. E equals mc squared. 1913, Denmark. Niels Bohr explains how atoms emit light as electrons jump from higher orbits to lower ones. 1938, Germany. Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann split the uranium atom. 1942, United States of America. Enrico Fermi builds the first atomic pile and shows that atomic energy is practical. Hope and pray we use the power constructively to bring about a
1: peaceful
2: world. For people great and small
0: You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2SER.com Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. The Future of Power Dressing and the Mother of All Frogs with Tilly Boleyn and Evan Shapiro. Um,
6: I don't know about you, but um, I like to have a bit of a power walk. <laughs> Every now and then. Yeah. But um, could you tell me, you know, is there some way I can do a bit more with my power walk?
5: There sure is, Evan. I'm so glad you asked. They've uh, made this microfiber sort of fabric that is going to be able to generate electricity as you walk, enough to sort of charge your MP3 player or your mobile phone or something. This is seriously nanotechnology at its coolest.
6: That sounds pretty, pretty damn fine. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> well, ah, oh, <laughs> <micro-fine>.
5: hilarious. <laughs> now, this is done by researchers in the US, and they've made this sort of a yarn out of um, nanofibres. Now, when they rub up against each other, so it's your actual mechanical motion, uh, so if, if they made it into clothes or shoes or some sort of implant, then, yeah, you, you can end up starting to charge your own electrical device now talk about uh, power dressing literally <laughs> forget shoulder pla- pads and strong pa- <laughs> and strong colors nanotechnology is the new black now Evan, as you mentioned, everything uh, everything is fine. Nanotechnology is means small, really, really small.
6: Yeah. It's now to ma- put it in pers- so macro, micro, uh, sorry.
5: Micro, nice. <laughs> now to put it in perspective, the researchers started with these fibers that are about a thousand times smaller than the width of a human hair. Right, tiny. That
6: is really, yes. really tiny. Okay,
5: so we're starting off with these sort of tiny fibers. Now they grew some zinc oxide crystalline rods sticking out. So if you think of like a, a tubular hairbrush with all of the spikes coming out, that's that's sort of what it looks like on a tiny scale. Now the zinc oxide bits are the bits that are coming out, like the bristles. Now they have uh, uh, zinc oxide has a few remarkable qualities. Anyway, one of those is that when when you exert mechanical stress on it. So you bend it, you stretch it, you crush it; it produces a really small amount of electricity, so that 's what they 're doing here so they 've got two yarns of this amazing covered with this amazing stuff. they coat one of them in gold, leave the other one naked fibers, and then when you twist them round with each other and put them into a yarn, when you move that yarn. Gold coated ones will bend the uncoated ones because they'll be a little bit hardier, make the little bit of electricity, that gets stored in the gold tips, and then uh, you can attach wires to the end of these fibres and send that electricity wherever you want, like a, an iPod, your phone, a light bulb. Well, actually, not quite a lot light bulb because <laughs> they could only get about um, 80 milliwatts per square meter, and uh, for a light bulb, you're going to need at least 40 real watts, big watts. Um, so they've only got this small prototype at the moment, but if they develop it further, we could, it could you know, lead bushwalkers, soldiers being able to charge their radios when they're off in the field and one day soon you and I Ev, might be able to cut our electricity bill and help save the planet a little bit
6: excellent uh, I just got to put the dishwasher on so I'm just going to go on the treadmill uh, actually that won't work cause <laughs> I'll be using all my energy to power the treadmill yeah right well, that's cool though you can you could actually just power everything uh, by your own movement
5: yeah but I mean we've still got to see how they're going to make this into clothes they haven't made the clothes prototype yet and uh, you no, I'm I'm a little bit nervous that they're going to make something that's the the same sort of level of fashion <laughs> faux pas as the timeless shoulder pads. It ain't.
6: It ain't going to really help people that um you know want to go out in formal wear or mm. or um you know scantily clad or something. <laughs> Is it, you, you're really probably going to have more of an advantage if you're a you've got a bit more body mass maybe.
5: Yeah, that's true. Or so, you like to wear flowing robes. <laughs>
6: I can see the robe coming back.
5: Yeah, me too. Or the cape. Maybe we could turn this into power generating cape.
6: Oh, oh, the super cape. Yeah. It actually has energy in it. Yeah, well, the sounds sky's fantastic. the limit with
5: this sort of stuff. Oh,
6: it it sounds, sounds very, very good. Um, but it, uh, it's not something that would make me particularly hopping mad. Did you know that?
5: Yeah, no, of course it wouldn't. It'd make you yeah, happy. It
6: would make me happy. But um, other things that make me hopping mad are frogs.
5: Yeah, there you go. Well, you better get yourself ready to start hopping because they have discovered the bones, uncovered these bones of pretty much the biggest frog so far that we know that has ever walked this earth.
6: A giant frog?
5: A giant frog. I would be terrified if I came up against this guy in a dark alley. Thank God they were roaming around mm, 65 to 70 million years ago. They were monsters, okay? They were measuring about 41 centimetres, which, you know, oh, 41 centimetres. No, think about your 30 centimetre ruler. Whack on a third, and that's a massive frog
6: staring oh, at you. Yeah, you know, I'm disappointed. you,
5: you wanted him to be <laughs> I, four metres.
6: You know that frog they have or used to have out at Sydney Airport, mm. the giant statue of a frog.
5: I'm going to
6: say yes. Yeah, say yes because it's messy.
5: Yeah.
6: <laughs> I'm thinking that size frog. I'm look, thinking car size frog. Look, like, don't, don't you thinking, poo-poo
5: this frog discovery.
6: I want a frog the size of, you know, of a four-wheel drive.
5: Great, well, I'll get you one for <laughs> Christmas now, I know.
6: I, I know. But, we'll just put a cigarette in its mouth <laughs> and expand it. I'd That's terrible that people do that to frogs.
5: Well, who does that? Oh, no one naughty does that people! To frogs. It's terrible. You're just making this stuff up now. Tell me making... about
6: the yeah. giant frogs. Right.
5: Well, they were like they were really powerfully built. They had an enormous mouth, really strong jaws, and they had all oh, their bone structure was sort of like armor. They had a total heft of about four point five kilograms. And the imaginative researchers named this bad boy Bielisabufo, which is a, com- a, buffo? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a combination of the ancient <laughs> Greek word for the devil, Biel's
6: Biel's a one, bad, yeah and
5: uh, the Latin word for frog, Bufo.
6: Bufo. Yeah, buffo. I bet you
5: thought scientific <laughs> nomenclature was boring.
6: Oh no! Uh-uh. Yeah, glad they brainstormed that one.
5: <laughs> oh, look, they found it in uh, northwest Madagascar. And it lived during the Cretaceous period, which is when the dinosaurs were still all plodding around. Now, I love this. You are going (laughs) to... Now, the researchers who uncovered this devil frog have said that because of its size and when it was around, it's highly likely that it feasted on baby dinosaurs... Wow. Yeah. Talk about attention grabbing. They're like, sure, it's not the size of a car, but it but probably ate baby dinosaurs. It eats
6: baby dinosaurs for breakfast. <laughs> exactly. Hey, what I, well, actually, I was actually wondering whether it itself was dinosaur food.
5: Yeah, well, it might have been. I yeah. uh, I can't give you a straight answer on that.
6: Okay, um, well, you just get that time machine cracking.
5: Yeah, up. I will. Oh, <laughs> time machine i can't that's the first thing i would do if i had a time machine go back and check out on the devil frog where it was on the food chain now look it's not only the frog people that this discovery has got excited though because this they've, they've released this frog is actually closely related to south american frogs rather than african frogs now south america is a really long swim from madagascar it's half the world away but Frogs can't actually survive long in salt water. So, this discovery has heated up the debate about how the continents were connected back in the day and how they've wow. drifted apart because. Current theory of uh, how continents drifted apart say that Madagascar was disconnected from South America by an ocean long before these guys were supposed to be around. So that means that at some point in time there must have been a land bridge probably from South America down to Antarctica and then from Antarctica back up to Africa uh because antarctica was of course a little bit warmer back in the day when dinosaurs were around so yeah it's not just the frog world this has got excited my friend it's uh it's reignited discovery it's
6: reignited an ancient ancient debate
5: (laughs) have you been waiting to say that line for a couple of years just a few minutes yeah okay nice well you've done it now
6: yeah i got that one out. excellent
0: You can listen to Tilly Boleyn and Evan Shapiro on the Monday Daily Show and the Friday Daily Show on 2SER. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. And if you would like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or wild passionate praise, then send email to diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Ian Wolfe, Patrick Ruby, Tilly Berlin and Evan Shapiro. Diffusion has been produced by Patrick Ruby in the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Lara Davis. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
2: It's a scientific fact, a scientific fact. It has to be correct, it has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that our high and low tides are caused by the gravitational pull of the moon. It's been proven to be true, like one and one are two. It's checked and double-checked, a fact that can be backed, because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that there are belts of radiation in outer space, which are a hazard for future space flyers to overcome. It's a scientific fact
5: A scientific
2: fact It has to be correct It has to be exact Because it is, because it is a scientific fact